Hello, and welcome to Scale, a podcast for modern media. I am your host, Stuart Ritchie. I am the founder and lead developer at Power by Coffee. Power by Coffee is a web development and software development agency focusing on open source, particularly WordPress, for publishers and anyone with lots of content that they're trying to monetize or manage. Scale is a podcast around the media, technology's impact on media, and sometimes media's impact on technology. Today, we have a Leslie Sim, the co-founder of Newsletter Glue. Newsletter Glue is a really interesting WordPress plugin that helps publishers in our case, but can work with anyone, take their content from their site, reuse it, publish newsletters direct from their dashboard. Leslie, welcome. Thanks for being with us today. That was a really quick intro, but can you tell us more about yourself, more about your own background, kind of how you got here, where you've come from today? Yeah, sure can. Thanks, Stuart, for having me on. Really excited to be here. I'm very happy to have you. Quick background. I live in Singapore. And mm. as you mentioned, I run a WordPress plugin called Newsletter Glue. And as you also mentioned, so basically we connect via API to a bunch of email service providers, all the big ones, over a dozen of them, like Active Campaign, Campaign Monitor. And then we let you write and publish your newsletters inside of WordPress with the block editor. And that kind of opens up a whole bunch of different possibilities. So if you're a big publisher and you have a whole team of writers already writing dozens and dozens of articles a day or a week inside of WordPress, and they're already very familiar with the system. And you've got, if you've, particularly if you've embraced the block editor and you have a bunch of customizations already done, it then becomes very painful for those same writers to hop into MailChimp and craft their newsletters over there. And so what we enable is kind of to have the same workflow for your newsletters that you already have for your articles. And on top of the workflows, you also have, you're now able to apply all the same monetization, SEO, membership, advertising strategies that you are applying to your articles to your newsletters. And it just kind of makes the whole, all the channels a lot more in sync And obviously, Mm -hmm. once that happens, you have both flow efficiencies, save a lot of time, but you also have growth efficiencies as well. Yeah, and so our best customers kind of really leverage both of those things and have seen a lot of growth with their memberships, their subscriptions, and also their newsletters. So really that kind of right once start to be able to to publish everywhere. And I think it's really important to us to like layer in there that it's, it's the content of the newsletter, not like the management of it. So your subscriptions and user base and stuff Mm -hmm. still lives in your email provider. So you're not bringing that into WordPress. That all stays where it is. It's very much the content generation and streamlining that and taking, I imagine sometimes hours and hours of work away from an editor who would have something much more interesting to do. What you said just kind of like reminded me of something that I should probably mention, which is a large part of the reason why we just connect to the ESP rather than be the ESP itself is we work a lot with medium and larger publishers who are kind of very locked into whatever email service provider they're using. And they've probably got a bunch of automation segments, groups, tags, all of that stuff already set up. And it's probably like a month-long project to extract themselves from it and so we yeah. don't want you to have to do that and instead we just kind of via api connect the esp and that's yeah it, it's so much faster it's just a api key and you're connected and it's done and you can pull up all, all of your segments and tags 
inside of WordPress directly and everything's set up already immediately. So that kind of works a lot better for the kinds of customers that we have. And that way we don't have to deal with the deliverability problems, which are always yeah. very stressful. And instead you can rely on the eight figure, nine figure companies who do this day in, day out and yeah. depend on them for deliverability, which yeah. broadly speaking is kind of a better scenario. And it's kind of a solved problem yeah. when it comes to the larger ESPs. So it's nice to I, kind of be able to rely on them. I think it's absolutely the right way to go. I don't, like, I very much subscribe to like WordPress is good at some things and terrible at other things. And I think it's a good content management system but it's a terrible email management system. So pass that off to something that is good at that. Like email is one of those things like it's been around so long, everyone assumes it must be so easy. Just, just, just send an email, it's fine. It's like, no, it's not that easy. It's really not that easy. Particularly if you send in any kind of scale, like more than a few, just the bounce backs alone can take down a server. Yeah. Like I have, I have seen servers be effectively DDoSed by rejected emails that they have tried oh. to send. So I think it's, like by far the better better approach to integrate and meet those those customers where they are. But I mean, let's let's take a step back from that, Leslie. Tell us about yourself. You know, where did the idea for Newsletter Glue come from? So it was kind of a it actually started Newsletter Glue started its life as a membership plugin. So my co-founder, his background is in membership plugins, and he's kind of been building membership plugins for the past decade. And then he went out on his own and wanted to build his own membership plugin, thinking I'm not going to be bogged down by all the tech debt and path dependence and his bad historical decisions and stuff like that. And so he went out and built his own plugin, not realizing that, as is the case with a lot of new founders, that actually it's the business side and the marketing side and the pricing side that's the real challenge. And so he posted on the Indie Hackers Forum asking for a co-founder. Sure. Once, he, once he launched and he realized, oh, there's all this other stuff to deal with and it's not that easy. So he posted on the Indie Hackers where I'm looking for like a business and marketing co-founder and I saw that and I got in touch with him and we started working together and very quickly realized that it was very difficult to yeah. build a membership plugin and get it up and running and earning money just because that niche is very, very established with lots of great mm -hmm. players. I think it would be different if people didn't like the established plugins in that niche, but I think a lot yeah. of them are very, very well um, and it was really hard to break through. And so we were kind of actually thinking about closing down after kind of trying to get it off the ground for a while. And I wasn't sad about closing the membership plugin down at all, but along the way we built an add-on, a MailChimp add-on that let you send newsletters send blog posts as newsletters. And I had been using that for my own newsletter. And I'm kind of sad to see that go because there, I knew there wasn't something similar out there. And then I realized if I was sad to see it go and if there wasn't something similar, then maybe this is something we could do. And Substack was kind of growing in popularity at the time as well. And it was kind of very, very similar functionality. It's like, but in WordPress. And so we decided to pivot, do all the things that we did wrongly the first time in terms of like, not marketing well, not knowing, not realizing the established niche is hard to break into, like all those problems that we yeah. encountered for the first time. We kind of addressed them the second time around and it went a lot better. We got a lot more interest. I did a whole bunch of user interviews to make sure that we were building the right thing. Yeah, and it's kind of been going great since then. And yeah. earlier this year, we made the decision to not, I wouldn't say pivot, but 
refine our positioning to focus more on medium to large publishers. So like publishers, newsrooms, media companies, online magazines. And the reason for that was simply because we realized that the kind of product that we had really suited those kinds of customers. So when I said earlier about medium to large publishers not like being very locked into their MailChimps and active campaigns and campaign monitors, that isn't the case for the smaller bloggers, right? They're always looking for the cheapest thing possible or the do-it-yourself version. And they were actually pushing me to a MailChimp inside of WordPress, which we didn't really want to do at the time. And so repositioning kind of helped us a lot. And it particularly helped us with knowing who to talk to and figuring out like the specifics of what we wanted to build, like product decisions. And yeah, so that's kind of where we are today. I think that that repositioning exercise was kind of where I had become aware of, of newsletter glue. Because obviously it started to to kind of come into the, the realm of the we were working with publishers and things like that. And just from keeping an eye on kind of things that might be useful in the space. But I also remember you got quite a lot of Twitter buzz at the time. I think I saw a lot of people tweeting about it, the usual enterprise WordPress Clyde crowd saying how great it was to see more more products focused on on large scale WordPress. And uh, but so that that process now of, of migrating away from kind of everyone as anyone that will come along and kind of take the plugin into having a really distinct like this is who we work with and this is who are we're a good fit for and who we're not a good fit for. How how do you think that's kind of impacted impacted the business? Has it had like a big impact? Has it really helped with growth or has it just made it simpler to kind of make decisions for the product? Maybe all of the above? All of the above, I would say. Yeah. I think it's still early days, so it hasn't the the sales pipeline of converting a bigger customer is quite different from converting some someone who's purchasing like a hundred dollar a year plugin. Yeah. So we haven't seen like the same number of people who are purchasing it at the lower price purchase it at the higher price. But you don't need them. Yeah. So I think we are 10, 10 times, just over 10 times oh, wow. more expensive now. Yeah. yeah. So we went from $100 a year to $100 a month, thereabouts. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, we definitely need less customers now. But the nice thing is that we get much higher quality customers as well. And like you said, it's definitely had a huge impact on product decisions. So for example, early on, we were talking to WordPress VIP and they wanted to bring on a customer. Um, along the way, they were like, oh, you need to make sure all your code follows the WordPress VIP standards. And a year ago, it would have been really difficult to make the decision to go through like the three weeks it took us to make sure all our code was up to scratch. But in this case, yeah. it was like a no-brainer. I was like, yeah, of course we yeah, have to course. do that. Yeah. And we could prioritize, like drop everything else and prioritize that straight away and, and feel good about the decision and know that we made the right decision. I think previously we were being pulled in a lot of different directions and it was hard to kind of justify a lot of decisions because any product decision we made had to be viable or had to be a good decision for a whole range of different types of customers. And that was really tricky. Whereas now yeah. it's... Most of the answer is, yes, we can build that super niche filter that you want us to build because, of course, there's going to be someone else who wants this like really advanced thing that yeah. you'd never imagine was even a thing. Yeah, so I think like, product-wise, awesome. it's been really great. Great. And it's one of those things I imagine the the support burden. 
So the number of people asking questions way down because the people using it, that's what they do. Like they're the newsletter editor. They're not someone who has a hundred other things they're doing within, within the business. But yeah, it sounds amazing. I think it's also the types of questions that we get. So like, it's really nice when we get, as you say, like a newsletter editor or like the developer in charge of the WordPress site be like, we encountered a plugin, plugin conflict or a potential plugin conflict. Here are the things that we've checked. Here are the things that we think are an issue. Here's the, the console errors. And it's, it's so much, it makes life for us so yeah. much easier. Yeah, that sounds great. Not going to lie. So I think like for, for most of our audience, I think they're not necessarily going to be developers. I think they're really interested in like the bigger picture of, of email for publishers. And I think your plugin and newsletter glue in particular, like is something I really like for a WordPress plugin and for companies. It's that it solves a problem where the client slash customer is making money. So like those email newsletters that are going out in many cases are directly attributable to revenue, whether or not that's part of a part of the, like the nurturing flow for someone that is signing up and they're trying to get them into a, a subscription service or part of the subscription benefits or they have a broad email list and they are injecting sponsorships and advertising in, into, into the emails that are being sent. There are so many things that these, these can be done. And I just think it's like, while we may all get hundreds of emails a day, so many of them are terrible. And you really look forward to the good ones. And it looks to me like more and more publishers are like doubling down on email as their kind of primary place and primary way that they connect with, with their audience particularly in a world where we can no longer necessarily depend on social channels that we maybe thought were pretty, pretty solid. Have you, have you seen similar? That's just my, my kind of tech. Yeah, I would say so. I think it's been kind of happening for a while. I wouldn't say that people are doubling down, but I would say that like there's the, the people who are already really advanced, they've like maintained their advanced status and there's always yeah. kind of new, newer publishers who are trying to grow their newsletter offerings and i think mm -hmm. that's just like everybody gets there at some point and it's just a matter of like building up the processes the systems yeah so i wouldn't say it's been the case where people are kind of realizing for for the first time that newsletters are really important but it's just a matter of like people getting more in terms of the strategies yeah. that they're employing and realizing yeah what they can do yeah I think that's like an interesting fork then. So we've got these two kind of groups of folk, those who are like super advanced, know what they're doing and those who are just getting started. So for those publishers listening, one and two person companies, probably a little too small for newsletter glue, but if they grow, maybe they'll get there. We, we have, we have one or two company there. people using us as well. Really? Like even on the new price. Yeah, I'm, oh, that's awesome. I mean, like yeah. if they value their time, like I think it's a, it's a no brainer and the time it can save even if it saves you 20, 30 minutes a week, that's a big improvement for a, a one-person business. But if someone just getting started thinking about their first newsletter for their blog slash local magazine slash new media brand, what, what would you suggest is like a great starting point for someone getting going with email, market, email newsletters for their publishing company? I think if they're just getting started, then honestly, we might not be the best fit for them. But... Mm -hmm. What I would suggest is that they focus purely on consistency. So like building up the processes and the 
habits around publishing, whether it's mm-hmm. once a week, which I recommend, like don't don't do it once a month. So like minimum of once a week, just kind of getting the habit, getting used to it and publishing all the time. Because like really you can't improve unless you're getting the reps in to begin with. So that's kind of what I would say for anyone that like thinks like, oh, of course I can do that. You wouldn't believe the number of people who kind of say, of course, they can do that and then drop off yeah. after like 10 months in or something like that. And myself included. So like I used to run a newsletter, yeah. but pretty much the yeah, moment. Too. Yeah. Yeah. The moment I started like focusing on newsletter guru, it, it was impossible to keep up the yeah, personal newsletter. Fair enough. And I mean, so consistently send in about once a week you recommend, but I minimum. would say any consistent schedule. Yeah. yeah once a week minimum. Once every two weeks, if you're really struggling and really busy. But, but if you have a publishing you... business, I think a fortnight yeah. fortnightly is too little. Yeah, it's, it's gotten a bit stale since then. So I think you're definitely right, at least once a week. What do you think Fokin started should be sending? Okay, so, so the other thing I think is if they are kind of technically savvy or at least willing mm-hmm. to tinker, then what they can do is one editorial newsletter once a week and then one mm-hmm. RSS based newsletter once a week and so that way they have two newsletters a week but only one takes effort so that's kind of how i would recommend doing it and that also kind of incidentally answers the question of what you should send so editorial could just be whatever the kind of main theme the of the publication is so whether that's fishing or a, a local town or whatever the thing is just kind of what you as an editor is thinking about that week so that should be the editorial. And then the RSS newsletter should just be kind of like a best of kind of newsletter for the week. So that so you can do an RSS-based one or you can kind of do a hand manually curated one. And obviously the mm-hmm. two have trade-offs. So if you do an yeah. RSS one, then you don't have control over what goes into it. And you don't have kind of like the final final say you can't run a test email so if there's an article in there that you don't like and didn't want to send out you don't really have control over that but if you're able to really fine-tune the settings then that can be really good and then obviously if you do kind of like a hand curated one then it takes additional time and that again runs the risk of you dropping off because it's difficult more time more effort yeah. more chance to drop off i think we just then for for clarity for anyone who doesn't know like um when you mention an RSS newsletter, that's oh, yeah. a newsletter generated from like an RSS feed coming out of, out of a website that you might subscribe to normally, except rather than just going to an RSS reader, it's going into your email provider and it's like being processed to create like a little, like little breakdown of like, here is article one, article two, article three, please click through. Yeah. Just for anyone who didn't, who wasn't listening or who, who hadn't heard the terms before. Everyone's got to start somewhere and we have to like be inclusive. But then on the other side of this, what is there anything you see coming for those really advanced publishers who have like a really strong newsletter game already? Maybe are sending editorial, send a curated lists, have columns that are from a particular author, you know, all kinds of things that users can go down, personalization and things like that. Just a few, few kind of things we've seen. What, what do you see kind of coming down the pipeline? I think just having... An infinite number of newsletter offerings is what I think is the best the right. best thing to do, like the most bang for your buck thing to do. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people want to overcomplicate things, doing a lot of like really, really fine-tuned personalization 
or having like the fancy the fancy the fancy thing is like personalized newsletters where you can kind of like pick and choose what like settings you want and then like have that be sent to you. I feel like in most cases that's overkill and yeah. you can actually get away with really simple segmentation but just a lot of it. So again yeah. if you're a local like a city or a town newsletter then you could maybe you start with like restaurants and bars and then events and then things happening in the local park and so on. But then you can also like expand all of that, right? So restaurants and bars just becomes restaurants and then you have another bars newsletters. Yes. And then you can have like indoor events and then outdoor events and then concerts. And it's it's really the same thing, but having it expanded out like that really lets people choose what they want. And then on top of that you can also have the restaurant and bars Thing, and then also the all the events newsletter. So even though it's all the same content, you've now gone from three newsletters to ten. Yeah. And just like the more newsletters you have, the more kind of interlinked they are, the more times people hear from you. And when it's specific, there's more chances people will open the specific newsletter rather than the general newsletter. Because if they're looking for something to do with kids over the weekend, then they're definitely going to open the weekend kids events newsletter but they might not yeah. open the weekly recap newsletter so so yeah doing that i think is the biggest thing that i would recommend and then obviously with that comes a lot of process and workflow issues and like concerns about having to grow the newsletter team so i think everything that you can do to automate the segmentations yeah. and the sending i think is really important while at the same time maintaining a certain level of personalization. So it doesn't just feel like yeah. a timeout newsletter, which they send like lots and lots of stuff, but then it just feels kind of impersonal. So you really yeah. want to kind of balance those two things. Great. There's so many, so many options for email with these cases. I know I mentioned it before. I'm really, I'm really interested in these organizations and companies that come along that are email first. So groups like Morning Brew. And TLDR, where you know they they call you a lot of information, but the actual product is the the newsletter that you get every day to kind of start your day with kind of a big info dump of all the things you you like. Obviously, those are kind of monetized through like sponsorships and things like that within within the emails. But yeah, I think they're really interesting. Do you see like a change at all in how people are going to start using emails and email newsletters more in that direction? Do we think we'll get more? email only organizations or is this just does, does it feel like there's space in the market for that or is it really going to be a few kind of big players that can get away with it i think it's really hard to do email only and i think there isn't a strong case for doing that either yeah. um and what i mean by that is i think you have to be really really stubborn and like be willing to really grind to get those subscribers and do a email first or email only strategy. And I mean, 90% of the time, the hardest part is the content. And so if you already know the content, then like, why not publish it on a WordPress site? Right. So yeah. that's one thing. Like, it's not, it's not mm. that much harder to set up a WordPress site. Right. And mm. if you're missing out on all of the SEO and all of the people can just link to the site and share, share the app. Like, what? Yeah, to me, there isn't a strong reason to not do that. Yeah. Um, so you kind of have to be really stubborn if you want to insist on doing newsletter only. Oh, I remember what I wanted to say. Sorry. 
it, it's a all all roads lead to Rome kind of thing. Like I feel like sure. anyone who starts out as a newsletter eventually a site in the end anyway. Like Morning Brew now has a site and you and yeah. it's obvious that they've like put in a lot of effort to drive traffic to it and get it optimized and stuff like that. So why go through the trouble of trying to get a million subscribers first and then build a site when you know yeah. you can do it much earlier and it would probably be less stressful and easier and yeah. Yeah. Now I think I think you're right. I think I like them from a like, oh this is a weird tech perspective. But ultimately like they're you would be leaving a lot on the table. I mean you know, if you say you're running advertising anyway on the newsletters, which incidentally I would love to have a talk to someone and not necessarily yourself, because I think this is probably fairly specialist. Like, how does advertising in a newsletter and an email work? It's fascinating to me because normally, sorry, complete tangent aside, people want all kinds of like tracking and like things like that for these emails that they're running on things. But that's so very difficult within email because emails are like notoriously hard to even get to render correctly, never mind have, have an advert in there with some tracking. Like, it's crazy to me. And I imagine a lot of them don't. They're just like images with a, a click-through link. But I've definitely seen some that seem more intense. That's an aside. I would just, it's a thing that interests me. But yeah. But I mean, like, we have, we've also had people like now start to realize like, oh, we put all this effort into the newsletter. And it just goes into people's inboxes and it disappears. Like, we should have those on the site accessible to be archived. If nothing else other than they're good search fodder. So like, Google has a better understanding. You know, you've got a whole lot more internal links and things like that. You can get them behind a membership if somebody wants access to the archive. It's like a very easy extra perk for some organizations. But unfortunately, a lot of the time, they're just locked away in the email provider and can't be reasonably accessed to, to do it. Yeah, all, all roads lead back to having a website. I think it's a good tech. Oh, I feel like even worse, all roads lead back to WordPress in some cases. Yes. Because I feel like we saw Substack thing you mentioned a couple of times. Obviously a great platform, but pretty closed off. I haven't used it, to be fair, but I've heard some stories about like making it very difficult to access your subscribers' data, like export out, very difficult to leave Substack once you're in there. It's really locked in. So again, back to the open web and owning your data and having, having control back to WordPress, which I feel like is a really where newsletter glue can slow into this and kind of help people do their own kind of their own kind of sub stack if they wanted it's a good it's a good plan i really like it it's such a good idea very jealous cool leslie thank you so much for your time today is there any parting thoughts that you want to leave us with anything any final takeaways that you think our publishers might like to to know we're here not really i think something that you mentioned in passing about putting newsletters on, on your site and on the archive, being able to put it behind a membership restriction mm -hmm. and that being an easy, no effort on your part perk that you can offer to subscribers. Like all of those things are exactly why we exist. And a lot of publishers, they're manually copying, pasting their newsletters over onto their WordPress site. And yep. um, that whole two hours of your life you can get yeah. back when you use when you use us and yeah like I, I guess like that stuff really excites me because mm. it's it's really cool like when we hear about customers who they're like oh Thursday is our newsletter day and and then like 
we come in and improve their processes and like set up the templates for them. And it's like, you know, Thursday newsletter day becomes like Thursday one hour day mm-hmm. of, for newsletters. And yeah, and I, I guess like that's really cool. And so if, if you have any listeners who are interested in talking about that stuff, and it doesn't really even have to be newsletter glue, like, just like be happy to talk about newsletters. Yeah, get in touch. I think it'd be great. It'd be well worth just having a quick refresher on newsletter glue from an outsider's perspective. So Newsletter Glue is a WordPress plugin to streamline dramatically the process of creating newsletters for publishers, medium size and up, but smaller welcome, doing that kind of by generating your newsletters from blocks within the WordPress block editor. And those newsletters can be in any of the standard WordPress blocks, headings, paragraphs, images, etc. So you can generate editorial ones that are kind of from the editor, whatever that message is. But also then there's a whole series of other blocks for doing curation. So what you would have referred to as RSS earlier, that generates all the markup needed and sends it off to the email provider, whether that's MailChimp or any of the other big ones, ActiveCampaign. I've forgotten them all. They've all just left my head. But all that content exists on your site. So it can be published anywhere you kind of want it to be as an archive or you even accessed over RSS. In some ways you could probably have your email newsletter be accessible for RSS uh, if you really wanted to and you kind of knew what you were doing, which I think is great. And then because it's on your WordPress site, you can tie it up to whatever membership solutions you're using within your WordPress. So no lock-in to any of those and probably even some external tools that we've we've looked at for other bits and pieces, but I won't mention right now. Is that about right, Leslie? Yes, that's perfect. Did I miss anything? Awesome. Where can... Where can people find out more about you and Newsletter Glue? They can go to newslettergloo.com and find out more. There's like a button to book a call as well. And again, like I said, even though it's kind of a site for Newsletter Glue, if you wanted to just kind of chat about newsletters, I'd love to do that as well. That's kind of how Stuart and I got got to chatting and it's it's fun. Yeah, and then I'm also active on Twitter at Leslie, L-E-S-L-E-Y underscore pizza. So if you wanted to right. chat with me there, that's that'll be fun too. We'll make sure those are all in the show notes so people can can click through at their at their leisure. Leslie, thank you again for taking the time today. I really appreciate it. And hopefully speak to you really, really soon. Thanks for having me on, Stuart. Good stuff. Thanks. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. Scale is available in all usual podcast places. Even better, if you could leave us a review, that really helps us. If you're interested in finding out more about me or Power by Coffee, you can find us on social media. And again, in all the usual places, links are in the show notes. Scale is currently going to come out every two weeks and we will see you then.